Welcome to the CTO Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the challenges and opportunities facing today's chief technology officers. Looking to discover what it takes to succeed as a CTO? Then sit back and relax as we explore the fascinating evolution of the world of technology leadership. Here's the host of the CTO podcast, the founder of Seven CTOs, Etienne de Bruin. Welcome to the CTO podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Seven CTOs, Etienne de Bruin. Joining us is Ksenia Palki, who is the director of AI at Airspace, which is the industry's most technologically advanced shipping platform that expedites deliveries, improves accuracy, and provides full transparency for critical shipments. Airspace ships anything from organs for transplant to aircraft parts that could cause delays across the globe. By building an industry-first automated platform, they provide you with complete visibility from the moment the order is placed to the moment it is delivered. Yesterday, Ksenia and I talked about how to apply AI at your company. Today, we're going to continue our conversation and discuss building organizational trust. In Here's my conversation with Ksenia Palki, the director of AI at Airspace. Ksenia, welcome back. Thank you. You happy to be glad back? to be back. I'm glad to be back. I loved yesterday because it was a delusion and it was ethics and definitely great episode. The thing that you really blew my mind with was this issue of trusting the models or trusting the process or like you said, even with a 5% error rate, it could have a massive impact on everybody's doom and gloom around, oh, the AI models are broken. This idea of organizational trust in AI was a real eye-opener for me. I think that it is one of the biggest blockers now, especially since we have so much data, computational power and brilliant minds, but we just might not have the trust and very human. And I think there are two sides of it. One side is not understanding what it is. And if you have been in an industry for a long time, you really trust yourself and you cannot imagine a model or someone, maybe someone who graduated two years ago with a computer science degree, knowing more about your field than you after 30 years. And another one is more of a fear where probably also coming from not understanding exactly what's happening, but maybe you're concerned for your job. Maybe you build a 30 year long career and now you're afraid that a model will replace everything you do. But I think that the role of a leader is to frame it as um, your job becomes more interesting than because you'll be handling exceptions and your 30 year experiences are very needed. But now you can stop doing easy tasks and start focusing on something that that is truly unique and those people will advance who will build a relationship and utilize AI and not try to fight against it because I don't think that is a battle you can win. Yeah, I think as I focus on the organization that doesn't have any data engineering, doesn't really, is using their data in a very sort of transactional, one directional way, perhaps doesn't have that much data, but has a CTO that is building out the infrastructure. Where does someone like that start without being delusional? I think that a start is to really know what you want to use AI for. Bad reasons to use AI is because you just have this intellectual curiosity, which is great to have, but it's not a good enough reason to start using AI or because you feel like you're missing out on 
something that's developing rapidly until you know what you're using it for. You shouldn't start because you need to have a very well defined goal and i think having a conversation with someone would be very helpful even recently was having conversations with people who are not very technical but are leaders of their organizations considering ai and i had two conversations with the opposite outcomes where one time we talked things through and the person was like okay yeah you confirmed everything i thought i really now think this is a great use case and we're doing everything right i'm gonna go on with this introduction of ai to my team with the other person's like okay okay now i understand that I was way too premature and actually simpler things would work and I don't have a need for AI but I'm gonna keep my eyes open but what I thought I would need it for is actually not something I do need it for and I don't have a really well-defined idea so for now I will stop exploring that and both conversations I felt were very nice because I felt helpful and it seemed that it's sometimes when you're talking to someone you can lay out a structure and realize whether there is something or not yeah I think that is in my mind I'm just seeing office hours or coffee dates just someone like yourself talking to a bunch of CTOs and just conversationally exploring what can and can't be done or what should or shouldn't be done. I, I see a chicken and the egg problem again, which is how do I as CTO present the advantages of mining my data? How do I know if I have enough data? How do I know whether I should be programming or whether I should be training? You know, it just seems like we're moving from given 50,000 documents, how can I draw up the best practice document? It seems like you can either code that by sections and sort of just do coding, or you can say, no, wait, that's actually a model that needs to be trained. I feel like there's a bit of a great divide there in my brain at least there probably is i think that when you have a specific problem you can um ask yourself questions in your example you know you have documents representing patterns and how can you create the best practice document you can ask yourself can do you already know what the best practice document is and can in lay out a brief summary suggesting what is the best practice you don't need ai if you already know if there's someone who can do that 50 sounds very little to jump in to using AI to me. But again, those are very long documents, are very complex documents that maybe 50 is enough. But you're saying 50,000 doesn't oh, sound Oh, you said 50,000. Sorry, I said 50. Okay, oh, 50,000 oh. is definitely more than enough to start okay. for sure. I think, and I'm a big proponent of starting very small, almost as a toy prototype. What I like about Ryan Rusnick is that he always has a crazy project that he does at night just to try something out. He prototypes something and what happens next? He shows it to us and we're like, oh, this is pretty horrible. But he put a start. He proved that something works. We take over and we make it better. But I think this is an awesome quality of him. And there are people who do that a lot. You don't have to build a productionable solution. You can spend a couple of weeks trying things out and then you'll see a trend, whether something is manifesting out of it or you just waste a lot of time and nothing happens. But it's still a few weeks and someone who is scrappy and likes to play around with things and then goes a long way so you need a small maybe not at all perfect project to start that momentum going and from that someone who is more skilled than that can come in take it over and make it better but i think it's all about trying if you're not sure try and i think now is much better time to do it because there's so many automated ai tools that don't even require a ton of technical knowledge where you are not sitting and building coding a neural net from scratch right 
you can just play things around. And if someone very talented and scrappy spends two weeks and nothing comes out of it, there's probably very little promise unless they're missing something obvious. But if you see, okay, I'm getting somewhere. Let's see what happens if I give it to someone who is doing it for a living. It still might not pan out, but I think it's a good start. Well, I, I love what you said because the saying is in this current day and age, there are so many services and tools that can allow for that type of prototyping even if there is bias or even if it isn't fully fleshed out i mean for the prototype it doesn't have to be vertically integrated or perfect at least you can say hey i tried this out with whatever services azure or gave me or some rinky dink ai startup but at least this all helps then with the communication layer that from everything I'm getting from you, this part is so critical is, I mean, it's a systemic change that we're trying to instigate inside of existing companies, large and small, to think differently about what can be done with data. And it sounds like instead of having a production mindset with all these tooling, to use that to prototype, be a Ryan about it and just get it out. And then two points to, to make here. I think bigger and more successful companies that utilize AI have completely different teams, a prototype typing team. They're scrappy. They're not measured on something being productionalized. They're measuring on getting new ideas, new models, and failing a lot, right? They expect to fail a lot. The next team who takes it over is maybe machine learning engineers who are now bring it to production and maybe they're the ones who are making it actually usable or before that it wouldn't have been much benefit but the idea is there so kind of an ideation prototype team versus a production team but what's missing a lot because both groups of people are very smart and then you know i'm sure there are other layers downstream with engineering support and then maybe and design how it goes into your product but what's missing a lot is someone who communicates and you touched on that it's just so important and unfortunately on average and to make a very big generalization people who are drawn on to do data science work or machine learning work don't tend to be done to talking to a lot of others communicate be flexible say okay let me just violate everything i learned in my phd and say this and those are almost two different skill sets I and i think it. it's still up in the open how do you marry them do you hire someone separate do you find unicorns who are good at both and i'm laughing because this is the eternal dilemma of the role of CTO as well, especially in smaller companies. You know, this conundrum of technology innovation and drive and product versus the, hey, I've got this whole company, this whole sales and marketing machine, this whole leadership, this whole financial construct that needs to understand where I'm going and why, you know? And it's like, oh, well, I'm either going to do the tech stuff or I'm also going to communicate backwards. And this is why it's so important for me at, you know, at Seven CTOs that that we are training and being made aware of the role of that type of communication back to the organization. And it, I think it, that's a type of a job. At least right now, I cannot think how AI can steal it because you have to yeah. do a whole bunch more now. And to be really skilled at that, you have to also be very technical. So I'm yeah. loving that your organization is training people who are technically great and then meet 
another skill. Is this essentially what your role is then, director, manager, marrying? It's really much so. I code much less now than I did even two years ago. A lot of times is what I do is go back to my team who cares about, well, this model needs to be of this accuracy, to then a team that uses the model who only has a business background or sales background and talking to them and then really breaking my brain on how to translate mm-hmm. between the two and making sure that my team is motivated because again, there's nothing more demotivating than your model that is not being used. But then when they're not using the model, a lot of times it's not because they're stupid or evil. It's because things are just complex and there are always reasons for things not to go as planned. And it's not because someone means poorly, it's because they really want to increase revenue and they're using it and which are always currently best for them to sell the most or keep the customers happy. Is the... So I do feel like a liaison a lot. Uh, you may- mentioned this before, and I think this is a good point for us to just maybe sit on, which is this investment that you make to actually build the model. And let's say you overcome all the hurdles, you know, the engineering hurdle, the science hurdle, the bias, the ethics hurdle, the error rate hurdle. You finally get to a point where the model exists. You've trained it. It's ready to be used. And you're saying people don't use it? A lot of, time, a lot of times they don't use it. They misuse it because you can have someone whose job is to build the model feel like their job is done when the model is ready. Mm. But then the, I feel like it's almost more effort to have it and be used properly the way it was designed, the way it's optimal. Because even if it is used, if it's not communicated well enough or people have mm. their own... It's hard. The stuff is hard. It's very hard. And I think that it is even harder than regular engineered features because it's so hard to explain. And I've noticed the more you explain, the more people feel like they get it the least they get it because they stop trying to get it. I don't know if that even makes sense. Total sense. They just, oh, okay, I got it. And then they go on and call everyone something that's completely false. And they feel so confident because they kind of got it. But sitting down and saying, no, it's actually more complex and this is not being directly considered and this is that is impossible. You can't go to a hundred people at a company and explain that and most people will just get overwhelmed. And I've been getting feedback that multiple companies, that teams like mine, we intimidate because like, oh, well, you're so smart. I don't want to burden you and I don't want to appear stupid. So we work extra hard to be approachable to encourage questions at some points we had office hours we tried to give presentations and talks and meeting a lot with other people so which seems not very technical work but it's very important yeah i that intimidating part is interesting to me but even as we're even as you're talking about the training of the model and then the complexity of actually using the model think about it in terms of i'll distill this down code being written i think it's conceptually easier for a non-technical person, i.e. CEO, C-suite, to say, I'm going to employ people. They're going to write me code and the code is going to be executed. And there's a layer of A in there to make sure that the code runs well. Yeah. Move on to, ah, I'm going to employ people who are going to train a model which is going to produce nodes and weights. And that's basically what it, it's building the thing that's supposed to do the thing. And now I have to put situational data onto it to have the neural 
network predict or respond a certain way. I just think that the human brain, it's very hard for people to understand that what they've employed people to do hasn't actually created the thing, but it's going to create the thing that's going to create the thing. Yeah, I think, and you don't have to go neural network deep learning. I can give you an example. So we have a mod, we have a suite of models that predict an outcome of an order. And I would be talking to someone, again, on the business or product side about the model. And I would ask, What's your, what's your level of understanding of how AI and machine learning work? And they said, like, I'm very familiar. I'm not technical, but I love to read in my free time. I really understand that. And then later they would say something like, I know your model predicts an outcome of certain things. Can you please tell the model that on Tuesday it's 5 p.m. in Houston something takes longer? And like, no, we just you just told me that you have a stellar understanding of machine learning. Give me the data that shows that and one will learn from that. And if it's not in the data, no, I can't add an if statement into machine learning model. It's exactly the opposite of how it works. So sometimes people feel like they really know how machine learning works, but they still so used to thinking of if then engineering at this condition mm -hmm. that they just can't move away and take that final leap. Mm -hmm. Understand? It's all about the data. Surely we can say, oh, it is in the data. Our model is not learning from that. A different conversation. But if, if it's not in the data, we can't make a model learn something that's not in the data. That is so, I think that hits the nail on the head for this misunderstanding in the industry. And I think it's critical for CTOs in which these organizations do not yet exist to open the door and to open the door to understanding that this is what AI or machine learning produces. It's the producer is the thing that is supposed to produce the thing. I think a lot of non-technical people understand the conditional if then this. And I think for them it's just that is what code is. It's a bunch of conditionals. And that's what people learn even in the middle elementary school in their simple you know, coding classes even though they took it once. Or if they took a bunch in college that is programming how we know it. Even people who just use Excel, conditional format. I think it's just coding is just too close. You know, it's the heuristics of I know how to put a formula in an Excel spreadsheet. Apps are just amazing spreadsheets. So coding must just be that. And to a degree, coding is just that. But the whole AI revolution where you instead of programming your training, I think it's going to be a massive paradigm shift that I think maybe is reserved for the next generation. And I'm hoping they'll start teaching about it in school. I when my kid was in preschool they had this month where parents would come in and explain what they do my husband's geologist it was very easy he brought in rocks everyone was excited i came in and i confused kids so much i have a medium article written about it how to explain data science to preschoolers i tried my best at the end one girl shout out but my mom sells houses it really did not did not learn the digit despite my biggest attempts wow well yeah this was very interesting i can see you leading the evangelism of what this is going to be for our industry and I, i'd love to have you do this more and more with, with our CTOs. I would love to do that because I think that by being that liaison long enough now and understanding how AI works well, but also having been around business and understanding the business needs, I've developed the right muscles, but I'd like to train them more. And I think having those conversations, understanding different use cases and frustrations is how you train that muscle. Okay. Okay. That wraps up this episode of the CTO podcast. Thanks to Ksenia Palki, Director of AI at Airspace for joining us. If you would like to Contact Ksenia, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes or visit her company website at airspace.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to ctopod.com 
where we have summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. And if you want to share your stories of technical strategy and leadership in the C-suite, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the CTO podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is 7CTOs on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Bruin. E-T-D-E-B-R-U-I-N. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of CTO brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, remember that if things aren't breaking, your company isn't growing.